We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person. I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone, to this episode of the Music City Audible, presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello. How are you doing this evening, Justin? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm excited to get into this off-season talk that we have scheduled for today. We have a new series that we're going to start today that we're going to come to you over the next few weeks with. And that series is going to be covering the Titans pending free agents because before we get to the draft and we'll have plenty of draft coverage for you guys here, but before we get to the draft, free agency is approaching and it's approaching fast. Before you know it, it's going to be March and all of a sudden it'll be free agency time. So we're going to get into all the guys the Titans are going to have to make decisions about over the next few weeks, which is a pretty lengthy list. And today we're going to start with two guys, one on offense, one on defense, Corey Davis, and Jadeveon Clowney, pending free agents. We'll tell you guys what we think the Titans could do with these players and maybe who they might look to replace them with if they don't bring them back. But first, some hot news in the presses today, or yesterday, I guess, if you guys are listening to this on Friday, was Art Smith, down in Atlanta, taking the head coaching job, has hired Dean Pease to be his defensive coordinator, and Broadway's own John Glennon reports that Mike Brabel did reach out to Dean Pease to try to see if he could what would come back to Tennessee to be the defensive coordinator again this season. And he was apparently turned down in favor of the Atlanta job with Art Smith. What do you make of this hot gossip? It's very interesting, right? Because if you would have asked me a week or two ago and, and I would have told you the truth, if you asked me, uh, do you think there's a chance that Dean Pease would choose Atlanta? over Tennessee, if Tennessee is interested, I would have said no. Uh, I would have thought that he would have been more interested uh, in coming to Tennessee, a place that he's been at before. He knows the personnel well, obviously has a great relationship with uh, Mike Vrabel. Uh, I thought that would have been a no-brainer for him. Yes, he coached with Arthur Smith for two years, but it's not like you know he brought in Arthur Smith. Right. It's not like Arthur Smith is, is a member of the Dean Pease coaching tree or anything like that. So I would have guessed that the relationship between him and Vrabel would have certainly won out. But according to our own, our own John Glennon, as you said, uh, Vrabel did reach out and it, it sounds like Pease chose Arthur Smith in Atlanta. So uh, that, that, that's a big story right there. I do think it's interesting. I mean, there are re- there are reasons to, that you can you could come up with that Art Smith would choose Atlanta over Tennessee. We we don't actually know the reason. There was no reported reason given. So I've seen a lot of speculation, and I got into it on Twitter with some people today. I have a lot of respect for Tyler at his account Tic Tac Titans and what he does over there with Locked On Titans. But I disagreed with him today. He he has a theory that Mike Vrabel's ego is a big problem. And coaches don't want to coach under Mike Vrabel because of his ego. And he's looking for a yes man on the defensive side of the ball. And I just don't think that that has a lot of weight. I mean, I don't see any actual evidence of our, of Mike Vrabel having any kind of ego. And I think this is based on the way Mike Vrabel interacts with the press during the press conferences when sure. they're asking the same question every week. And you can tell he's getting frustrated. And I just want to say that, Mike Vrabel's not giving out any information in a press conference that that you can't glean on your own because if he was, 
you know, that's a competitive disadvantage in their opinion. And you can tell by the way that Tennessee conducts everything. They don't talk about injuries. They don't talk about anything that they're doing in that building. And they only let out what, what they want to let out. And the same thing is in the, goes for the press conferences. Mike Vrabel knows it's the reporter's jobs to get quotes for the stories that they're already working on, which they're, they, I don't know if you guys know how this works, but reporters come up with an angle and then they ask questions at the press conference to support that angle, to get quotes for the story that they're working on. And sure, every once in a while, an interesting quote comes out and they decide to write about that instead and they abandon whatever they went in with. But for the majority of the time, they're trying to get a specific quote about a specific topic that they are writing on. And Mike Brabel knows that. So most of the time, he's going to answer their questions with something that is publishable, that isn't going to be any kind of earth shattering news. They're not... If they want to break news in a press conference, they're going to hold a special press conference to do so. I just don't think you can assume that Mike Vrabel is some egotistical control freak coach just because of how you've seen him behave in press conferences. We have no idea what he's like behind the scenes with the team, other than what we've heard from previous coaches he's worked with, players he's coached and players he's played with. And everything that everyone has ever said about Mike Vrabel is the most everything you'd ever want to hear about the head coach of your team, about how smart he is and about how well respected he is amongst his peers. And you can tell when guys like Willie McGinnis and others on NFL network and stuff are talking about Mike Vrabel's Titans. Like you can tell the respect that people around the league have for Mike Vrabel. So I think this is honestly a ridiculous notion that his ego is somehow preventing him from hiring defensive coordinator candidates I want to let you speak about your theories as to why Art Smith maybe would have chosen Atlanta besides Mike Vrabel's ego. Right. And I think you bring up a good point. I think what you're trying to say, uh, and I agree, um, is that I don't think we can really judge Mike Vrabel um, as a whole based on how he treats the media. I'll be honest with you. You know, I don't sit in on those zoom meetings. I don't, I don't get, you know, I don't ask him questions on those things, but uh, I can understand why those guys that do are sometimes frustrated with him. Let's be honest. There are, there are many days where it seems like he's not easy to deal with on those things and he's not fun to deal with. Right. And he's not going to give you anything uh, as you said, but with that said, I, I don't think he's the same person in the building. Unfortunately, you know, that he is, uh, yeah. you know, that you see when he's in front of the media, you know, I don't, I don't think he's this, uh, you know, tough personality to deal with when it comes to his peers, where he's again, he certainly comes off that way uh, in a lot of his press conferences. But I, I don't, I get the impression, you know, that he has a lot more respect. Let's be honest, a lot more respect uh, for coaches than maybe he does, you know, other media members, so to speak. Right. So um, I think it would be it would be wrong, yeah, for for anyone to judge him, um, you know, as a whole based on those Zoom conferences. As for Pease, um, as I started playing around with that more in my mind, uh, Terry uh, McCormick um, responded uh, earlier to me on Twitter, and I thought he had a, a really good point uh, he brought to the conversation when he said. Uh, that, that he does wonder if part of the equation is that Pease enjoys being a sounding board advisor type for a first-time head coach that he wants to help succeed. You know, he came out of retirement for Vrabel in 2018, and he's doing it again for Arthur Smith now. And, and I think that's a good point, or I think it could have a lot to do uh, with him wanting to help Arthur. Maybe he doesn't think Mike Vrabel needs his help, right? Maybe he just sees a fresh new situation in Atlanta that he could be of more value to right? For a first time head coach, then, you know, maybe he thinks he doesn't have a whole lot to offer Mike Vrabel anymore uh, in this day. And, and I would also wonder, you know, going back to the same workplace that you retired from just a year ago, 
that might play a role as well, right? When another colleague of yours uh, or an ex-colleague, Shane Bowen, has been called in the defense for the past year. How does that work, right? Now you take over from him. Does Shane Bowen stay on staff? And the players have to start answering to you again when they haven't answered to you for a year. I think that can be a little bit tricky. And and I'm sure if he did decide to go to Tennessee, I I do think everyone would welcome him back with open arms, especially the players. But it wouldn't shock me if that played a role right in his decision making process. Let's let's get a fresh start here. I don't think it has anything to do with that. He didn't like working for Vrabel. I think that's crazy. I mean, you know, Vrabel played for him and was able to, to, to get him out of retirement once before. Um, I don't buy the notion that he's going to have more control in Atlanta than he had in Tennessee. We've heard him say in on radio before he's gone on record saying that he had full control of the Titans defense in Tennessee. It doesn't seem like Mike Vrabel is the meddler uh, that sometimes he's made out to be. So I don't buy any of those excuses. Look, ultimately, we're all speculating here, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if the real reason was that he want a, you know, maybe he wanted to help art kind of establish himself as a first-time head coach and be just, you know, kind of searching for a, a new work environment. And, and one other thing I want to add before we move on is that there's a bit of a b- bad luck and, and circumstances involved here. Look, if you think Dean Pease retired because he wanted to get out of Tennessee or wanted to get, you know, out of, from under Vrabel, that, that's not the case. Okay, he's gone on radio recently and said himself that the plan was to spend time with family, and to travel more. Obviously, and he said, a wrench was thrown into his plans, obviously, right? Because of COVID-19, the <laughs> pandemic, he's had to stay at home the whole time. And he actually said on Midday 180, and you know, that hindsight is 2020, that maybe if he had known what he knows now, he probably wouldn't have retired. I think there's actually a really, you know, if he knew he was going to retire just to go sit at home all the time because of the pandemic, I think there's a really good chance if the pandemic had hit USA just a couple of months earlier than it did, that Dean Pease would still be the defensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. One of the big reasons he's coming out of retirement, in my opinion, is he knows, you know, so far, retirement's not what he thought it was going to be. And it will be a year from now, maybe two years from now, but he probably feels like, you know what? There's no reason for me to just sit at home all the time. I really do think that if COVID-19 had hit earlier, and he had known what he was going to get himself into with retirement, that he would have never walked away. And he would still be the defensive coordinator of the Titans today. <laughs> yeah, I think that's totally plausible. You raised a lot of good points there that I also agree with about control and stuff. You covered that pretty well, I think. And, you know, it is interesting, but I think that another angle, another way to look at this is Dean Pease in Tennessee, back-to-back years, they had the number 18th ranked defense by DVOA. So, Yes, that's a significant step up from where they were last year. They were terrible last year. I don't think anyone is going to argue with you that Mike Vrabel made a huge mistake last year by not hiring a real defensive coordinator or with his decision to allow Shane Bowen to be the play caller and whatnot. I think that is, in hindsight, a pretty big mistake. But I don't think it has anything to do, like you said, with ego or control or anything like that. And another point about Dean Pease there is is what you were just saying, you know, Maybe he looks at it a couple years from now, he can retire and have the retirement that he wanted to have because he hasn't been able to have it this with COVID going on. So do you really want a guy in Tennessee that is only going to be here for a year or two? I know you have a counterpoint to that, but how much longer if Dean Pease did come out of retirement again for Mike Vrabel again to Tennessee, how long are you looking at him being your defense coordinator before you're back in the same boat searching for somebody else to come in and replace the guy retiring, right? 
while and you know what I'm going to say, and, and while I think that is a perfectly good point, and that is you know that that is very much a, a real issue. I do think this team right now isn't it, it has a championship window, right? And I'm not saying it's going to close, but you do feel like they they should really go for this thing right in the next two, three years. And they tried to go for it this year. Right. And that's why they spent money on guys like Clowney and Beasley, right. To try to take that next step. Cause they know how close they are. So with that said, being in this championship window, I think you would settle for another one or two good years of Dean peace. And I think, you know, there's a confidence factor, a confidence level that you're going to get a good defense from Dean Pease. I really do believe that. Now, they have other issues. The personnel has to improve. Dean Pease isn't going to have this team leading the league in sacks with Brooks Reed and Wyatt Ray and Tazar Skipper and all these other guys that had to play at the edge position this year. Personnel has to improve. That that plays a huge role, of course. But I, I do think you'd be very confident in the way Dean Pease is going to coach this defense. And because you have that championship window – I would be very comfortable with him in the picture, knowing that you're going to have to hire another defensive coordinator uh, one to two years from now. And with that said, uh, another big factor for me is yes, we, you know, offensive catch, uh, offensive coaches, excuse me, are all the rage, and everyone wants to hire you know offensive coordinators to become the head coach. Um, if you do hire a truly great DC, which is should obviously be the goal, there's always a chance you're going to lose him in a year or two anyway to a head coaching job. So, so for me having all of those things play a role, knowing that you have a championship window, knowing you may lose a DC and knowing you may hire a bad one and fire him after one or two years, or knowing that you may hire a great one and have him go elsewhere. uh, I I, I would have settled. I would have been very happy to have Dean Pease back knowing damn well that it was not a long-term solution. I think it still works out. Yep. That's true. That is all, all fair points. We see Robert Sala. We see Brandon Staley was only with LA for one year. Like, is it a mistake that LA hired a defensive coordinator that was too good that he had to leave in a year? <laughs> Obviously that's nobody would view it that way, but it is the downside of having a super bright coach coordinator uh, on your staff updating just more updates for the coordinator search. We've heard nothing about interest in offensive coordinators. That's quite the update. <laughs> yep. And on the defensive side, there was some speculation that the Saints secondary coach, Aaron Glenn, was maybe in contention for the Titans DC job just because we had reports out that he had interviewed with three teams and we knew one of them was the Lions. We didn't know who the other two were. And we found out today that neither of those other two teams were the Titans. So he has taken the job with the Lions. So that's a defense coordinator off the market. Uh, Gerard Mayo has said that he's not going to be a defensive coordinator. He'd rather take a head coaching job at the NCAA or jump straight to an NFL head coaching job is what he said, I think, on Thursday. So he's out of the picture and Dean Pease is out of the picture. So I can see Titans fans starting to get concerned. Like we haven't heard anything about any interviews outside of Terrell Austin and these other guys are getting scooped up off the market. But I think, you know, we really just have to be patient right now because like I said earlier, we're not going to hear anything the team doesn't want us to hear unless a local reporter from some other market gets a scoop on one of their guys potentially leaving. I said that last week. This is, I still feel the same way. So it's just going to be patience. And eventually, you know, it wouldn't shock me in the slightest. I think we said this today in our group chat, but it wouldn't shock any of us in the slightest if the Titans official Twitter account, just like they did last year when we were waiting and waiting for them to name a defensive coordinator, they never did. And finally it was, we finalized our staff just tweeted out an announcement that they've hired a defensive coordinator and an offensive coordinator. Like we finalized our staff for the 2021 season with two coordinators that we've never even heard of. You know, we never saw coming. We never heard any reports about wouldn't be surprising at all. I I agree. I I would not be surprised in one bit. If we just get an update uh, from the Titans on Twitter, one of these days that, 
you know, I, I want to say last year or, or last year, but when they when when Vrabel hired Lafleur and Pease, I don't remember there being a ton of speculation, right, that they were going to be the guys. And, and the news officially came out in a tweet from the team. So we have hired Matt Lafleur as offensive coordinator and Dean Pease as defensive coordinator. So it, it wouldn't shock me to see that happen again here in the, within the next week. Right. Yeah. So we'll stay keep our eyes peeled for any news on that front and let you guys know if we see or hear anything, but. In the meantime, let's talk about free agency. we got a couple of big fish the Titans are going to have to make decisions about coming up in the next few weeks. One of them plays wide receiver, Corey Davis, former fifth overall pick, never quite lived up to his lofty draft status, but it's pretty tough for any skill position player, non-quarterback, to live up to a top five status there. So let's take a look at Corey Davis. Um, obviously, fell short of the 1,000-yard mark with his goose egg in the last uh, – in the week 16 game against green Bay and a disappointing showing in the final week 17 game. So when we look at Corey Davis here, you know, important number two receiver, I think he led the league, led the entire NFL and contested catch percentage over the last two seasons, which helps obviously with Ryan Tannehill's adjusted completion percentage and all the, the metrics that Ryan Tannehill was doing so great in the tight window throws contested catches. Obviously Corey Davis plays a big part. He made some really nice touchdown catches this year in the end zone. In back to 2018, he made a couple game-winning catches against the Eagles and the Jets, but he never became that dominant number one receiver. And especially when you were able to compare him in the same offense to a guy like A.J. Brown, who came along and showed us all what a dominant number one receiver really looks like, makes you question what is Corey Davis's value. So just looking at spot tracks estimated market value they've got him at 9.8 million average annual salary they say his market value is four years about 40 million 39.5 million so about 10 million a year four years 40 million what do you think about Corey Davis if you are John Robinson here are you trying to negotiate with Corey Davis are you letting him walk and trying to replace him somewhere else Whew! talk about putting me on the spot Um, this is such (laughs) a tough conversation for me I ultimately think that you do have to make an attempt to bring Corey Davis back. I I think the offense that you just watched play in 2020 was too good to just concede, um, you know, to to just let Corey walk without even making an attempt. Now that doesn't mean that you have to be taken advantage of, and that doesn't mean you're willing to make any offer, um, you know, to keep him or, 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 or Trump any offer that is to keep him. But I do think you have to make an attempt the way this offense played in 2020 you'd be silly to not try to keep it intact. Right. And I know if he goes, it's still going to be mostly intact. And, and, and John who Smith's another conversation, but I, I do think you have to try to keep these guys together. Now, one thing that I don't think enough Titans fans are, are maybe discussing uh, when it comes to the Corey Davis evaluation. And it's something that John Robinson has to figure out. And, and it's what he's paid to figure out is obviously this was the best season of Corey Davis's career. Right. There's there, there's no denying that how much of that has to do with the motivation of playing in a contract year. And don't get I don't want to be, you know, misquoted or, or anything like that. I'm not you know, I'm not saying that Corey Davis lacks motivation in years past. I'm not saying any of that, but he's not the first person right to play his best football in a contract year. Right. And, and then get rewarded. I mean, who, who, who forgets Albert Hainsworth? right? Playing the way he did in his contract year in Tennessee and turning that into a a hundred million dollar contract in Washington. And yeah, that's an extreme example because it ended in in total disaster. But my point is all athletes have a tendency to play their best, you know, their best football, their best basketball, their best hockey, whatever in a contract year. 
We see it all the time. And it certainly happened with Corey Davis this year. So did he just put it all together this year? Was he just healthier this year than he's been in years past? Was he just more comfortable in this offense and more comfortable with Ryan Tannehill? Did having a number one receiver like A.J. Brown uh, across from him or, or on the other side of him just help him so much, take a load off his shoulders and and demand, you know, and, and commanded less attention of the defense? Did he take advantage of those things? Or was he just simply motivated saying, you know, it's time to get paid next year because athletes care about money and that shouldn't be breaking news to anybody. So I think that's a really big topic uh, that John Robinson has to, and he has to figure out. And I certainly would think that'll play a big role in just how much of an attempt Robinson makes to try to keep him. Yeah. And another thing that's going to play a big role is the market for wide receivers, which is pretty stacked this year. I'm going to read through a list of names that are just listed on spot tracks, free agent, upcoming wide receivers, uh, AJ Green, Allen Robinson, T.Y. Hilton, Larry Fitzgerald, obviously quite old, Sammy Watkins, Marvin Jones, Brashad Perriman, Corey Davis, Willie Sneed, Cordero Patterson, Danny Amendola, John Ross, Keelan Cole, Kendrick Bourne, Will Fuller, Alex Erickson, Andre Roberts, Chris Conley, Demarcus Robinson, Zay Jones. Gets pretty bad from there. Curtis Samuel, Juju Smith-Schuster. That's pretty much where the list starts to devolve into bottom of the roster guys. Chris Godwin, he's probably not going to see the market. Um, You got deep threats like... Marvin Hall, Alan Lazard, who, you know, might, might sign for smaller deals or more, um, I guess, more manageable deals. And it's going to be interesting to see how the salary cap shapes up to affect things. You know, they've been projecting it at 175 million, but I think it's going to end up being higher than that with, with the confirmed 17th game next year. And with the idea that there'll be more playoff teams this year and, you know, we'll see where the ratings land and, I don't know if the NFL really lost as much revenue as there was made a panic to be that they might lose just because of, you know, every, everything gets over-exaggerated to the extreme, especially in press coverage these days. So my point is, you know, it'll be interesting to see how much money the Titans have to work with once we get the salary cap. But something that should be a big impact on that is Adam Humphreys, who is set to make uh, a pretty decent contract. He's got a cap hit next year of 9.75 million, but a dead cap hit of, only 5 million if they were to release him. So the net gain there would be 4.75 million. And that's the kind of money you can put towards re-signing someone like Corey Davis, who, you know, at 10 million a year might end up being a bargain. We saw Sammy Watkins two or three years ago, get 16 million a year. And he didn't have that great a production. You know, Uh, he was kind of a, another guy like Corey Davis who never really quite lived up to his top 10 draft pick status. And then what, when you look at just what spot track has projected out there, Will Fuller, they project him for almost 17 million a year. Curtis Samuel, they have it 12.4 million a year, four years, $50 million contract. I mean, when you're talking about those numbers for guys like Curtis Samuel and Will Fuller, who's had trouble staying healthy his whole career, Curtis Samuel, who never really had the breakout year, he's, he's been more productive than Corey Davis, but you know, he's been fed targets more often than Corey Davis too. So when, when that's the contract you're talking about, obviously Corey Davis has to agree to come back to Tennessee to an offense that he knows is going to be Derrick Henry based with AJ Brown as the top pass catcher. So, you know, you got to convince the guy he's got to want to come back to Tennessee, but if you can get him back at 10 million a year, I think you almost have to do it. Yeah. I, I think that would be a great uh, deal for the Titans and, and it'll be interesting to see how his market develops. And I, I do think ultimately it's going to be tough to keep him. I think there's going to be a strong market for him. Uh, the one team that I think makes a lot of sense to me 
um, that should be players in the Corey Davis sweepstakes uh, are the New York Jets. New head coach in Robert Salah. Who's the offensive coordinator there? It's Mike LaFleur, right? We, we don't know for sure what kind of offense Mike LaFleur is going to run, but where does he come from? A, he's Matt LaFleur's brother, and B, he coached under Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, right? Two coaches who obviously run a very similar scheme to what Tennessee runs on offense. You imagine Mike LaFleur is going to run pretty much the exact same scheme in New York. They've got a ton of cap space. They don't have a true number one receiver on that roster. And they're picking in the top five and they're, and they're almost certainly going to draft a rookie quarterback. You would think, uh, you know, I, I don't know that they, they rule out Sam Darnold there for another year, but either way, whatever their quarterback situation is going to be next year, it's either going to be a guy like Darnold who they're, they're trying to see if he's the guy or it's going to be a rookie. Either way, they've got to help those guys. Whoever it is, they need to give them a ton of help, more help than they've given them in the past. Or, or, or as a rookie, of course, you know, you're going to need help. So someone like Corey Davis, to me, that, that, would, that would make a lot of sense for them to really throw a lot of money at him. You know, if I was Corey Davis, I would be looking to go probably somewhere else. You know, I just think there was a lot made about his Instagram post towards the end of the year, or he reposted to his story something that a friend of his posted. It said, excuse my language, everyone, but it said, fucking OC, as in fuck the offensive coordinator, as in maybe Corey Davis was a little frustrated with his usage in this offense. That was That's all speculation, obviously. I don't know if you want to get into this, but do you want to tell us anything you learned about this exchange you saw on Instagram? Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot to that. Uh, I'll just say that I did look into it and um, friends are friends, right? They're always going to have their opinion. I I don't get the impression that Corey reposted that um, because he was agreeing with the, you know, the FNOC thing. To me, it was more just, it, it was a really good friend of his. And it wasn't the only thing that was said, right? It was like a whole paragraph of congratulations on another year and, and a great year that you had. So to me, it was more just him reposting the kind words of a friend than it was FDOC. Uh, th- that's at least my opinion. Like I, said, I, I did dig into it and, and that's the impression that I have. Um, so I don't think any more really needs to be said about that, but I, I do get what you're saying. I, I wouldn't blame Corey for taking a, of course, the best, you know, monetary offer he receives and B maybe going to an offense that that's going to allow him to be the number one. And I, I really think he could end up a New York jet. I really do. Yeah. I don't think that's crazy at all. And for me, not even like making him the number one, but just going to an offense that, you know, is going to pass the ball more times. I mean, the Titans are, are a run first team and they're pretty much with Derrick Henry here. We don't know what, what the new offensive coordinator is going to do, obviously, but you can pretty much assume that the offense is going to run through Derrick Henry. So Corey Davis might want to go to an offense that's throwing the ball 500 times a year or more. Um, but you know, the other factor in this equation is if he does walk, is he replaceable or how replaceable is he? And what are the options to replace him with? Are you looking at a rookie? Are you looking at another free agent? Another thing to consider is Corey Davis's ability in the blocking game. And, you know, it should be a prerequisite for a receiver that they need to be an aggressive and willing blocker in order to, to play in, the, in an offense. And I think part of the Titans culture is that, you know, if you want to get the ball on offense, you got to be willing to block when we're running the ball. And I think that, you know, a lot of the receivers have bought in. It doesn't matter how big or small they are. We see guys like Cam Batson throwing key blocks for Derrick Henry touchdowns in the Colts game and things like that. So I do think that there is some value in Corey Davis's ability to block. 
but I don't think it's something we should overvalue because first and foremost, as a wide receiver, you got to get open. These are the words of John Robinson. You need someone who can get open and catch the ball. And my top option to replace Corey Davis, if he were to leave in free agency, and this is not a cheap option by any means, but this guy who has never had a good quarterback in his whole life, dating back to high school and college, to his time in Jacksonville with Blake Bortles, to his time in Chicago with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. Allen Robinson has never played for a good quarterback. This guy does not seem interested in returning to Chicago after they kind of failed to, to give him the offer he wanted in the offseason. And Spot Track has his estimated market value at four years, 80 million, aka 20 million a year. And that's based on comparable contracts Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, Tyreek Hill, all those guys earning between 18 and 20 million a year. The Titans would have to do a lot of cap space creating, some restructuring maybe of converting some, some salaries into bonuses and other ways to free up cap space. If they wanted to really make this happen. But you know what? I got to tell you, I would love to see Allen Robinson in this offense. And I don't think it's as far-fetched as people think because last week, Diana Russini of ESPN, who has an ear or a, uh, somebody in the Titans organization giving her credible information. We've heard it time and time again from her, things that ended up being true, that the Titans may have some interest in Allen Robinson. So I'll turn it over to you now, your thoughts on the potential of replacing Corey Davis with a guy like Allen Robinson. It's funny because we're, we're kind of talking about the possibility that Corey Davis may be priced out of the Titans market. And here we are talking about Allen Robinson, who's going to get 20 million a year, like you said. I, I can't see... Titans being willing to spend that much of the money that they're going to have this this summer on a premium wide receiver like Allen Robinson when they already have one in A.J. Brown. With that said, I don't think it's a bad idea. And if they do go that route, I think any Titans fan would be insane to complain about an offense that's going to have Allen Robinson and A.J. Brown at receiver. So while I don't think it's likely, I would love to see it happen. And I think you'd be crazy to think that uh, it would be a mistake. Yes, you know, they could probably spend that money elsewhere, certainly. But uh, it's an offensive game nowadays. Go out there, put up points. You have to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC if you want to reach the Super Bowl. You have to beat, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you have to beat the Buffalo Bills. And, mm -hmm. and you have to beat some of these teams that are putting up points in the AFC. If they want to go out and get Allen Robinson and throw the ball, uh, you know, more than they have in the past, I say do it. And it's not quite as crazy as, as it may sound on the surface there, because if you sign a guy like that to a multi-year deal, and we saw this happen, maybe you'll maybe you guys remember when Derrick Henry converted from the franchise tag into a multi-year contract, his cap hit for this or for this past season, the first season of the deal, is significantly reduced. And the way that the salary cap is expected to unfold over the next few years, with it potentially not increasing at all or maybe even dropping a bit next year when this new league year resets in a few in a few weeks um potentially being low but then the following year when you get that extra uh 17th regular season game when when you have the more playoff teams playing and you have potentially have international games again which obviously raise the profile and the and the income for the league you know the salary cap could make a substantial jump and i haven't even mentioned that new tv contracts have to be negotiated and with the way streaming is going this is going to be a super competitive 
contract situation for the NFL selling out the bidding rights and uh, probably have an all out bidding war for the for the rights to broadcast NFL games. So the salary cap could go up significantly after this next season. And if that's the case, then you could sign Allen Robinson to a long term deal or just a multi year deal of any kind that sees his first year cap hit way lower than 20 million. And I think that would make it actually uh, much more likely and more possible for this to happen. And honestly, I get giddy just thinking about the idea of Allen Robinson in this offense. This guy catches everything. He's a complete receiver. He's perennially underrated because he's never played with a good quarterback and he would just be, it would be unbelievable to see him in Nashville, but moving on to some other potential replacements, you know, something that you would have to see happen if, if you replace Corey Davis is a guy come in, learn the system, depending on who the offensive coordinator is, you might have a whole team of offensive guys learning a system and if it's a rookie, they're also trying to make an adjustment to the NFL. So I would be more in favor of looking into free agency, a guy with NFL experience. I wouldn't hate the idea of Will Fuller, even though he's never really been able to stay healthy. I think his speed would be an element the Titans offense has never really had outside of, you know, the few snaps Khalif Raymond and Cam Batson get on the field, which is like 15 a game. So I think that's a potential option, but it is a deep receiver class. Have you gotten into the receivers at all this year? Or is there anyone you're liking at that position um, as we sit here, you know, in late January and we're not super into draft season yet, but if the Titans did decide to go that route, if they don't sign anyone in free agency and Corey Davis does walk, would, could you see them drafting a receiver this year? Yeah, absolutely. I can. I think they'll have to, if, if Corey, if you're talking about Corey Davis walking, uh, you know, not going out and signing someone like an Allen Robinson or a Will Fuller, and you're talking about cutting Adam Humphreys. I mean, you don't really have anything at the receiver position outside of AJ Brown. So yep. they're going to have to do quite a bit there, right? If that's how this all plays out. Uh, one guy that jumps out to me that I think would make a lot of sense in, 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 a, in a Titans uniform, and it doesn't have to be a first round pick. I, I think he's more of a second round guy. And it's not one of the, you know, obvious top heavy names. It's not a Jalen Waddle. It's not a Devonte Smith is Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, he opted out of the 2020 season. He didn't play. Uh, well, he opted back in. He actually played a few games and then he opted out again, but this is a guy that really has the profile of, of a Tennessee Titan. He's a big physical guy. He's about six, one is what he's listed at currently uh, on the Minnesota website. We'll get the official measurables on him, but you figure he's going to be in that ballpark. And he reminds me of a little, a little bit of a Corey Davis or an AJ, Brown when he has the ball in his hands he's got a great mentality an alpha like mentality at the position uh very you know the hands are, are terrific really strong hands and, and the yard after catch ability is unbelievable and it's not just because he's fast but it's because he's so strong and he's so tough to tackle and again it reminds you know Corey Davis is great after the catch not just because he's so fast or AJ Brown same thing it's not because he's so fast but it's how tough they are right how physical they are after the catch and Rashad Bateman is one receiver to me that really fits that mold I think I think it's such a good fit for a guy like him in Tennessee if they do have to replace Corey Davis uh, and, and they're doing it through the draft nobody makes more sense to me than this guy and, and I think he's going to be there in the second round similar to where they got AJ Brown right in that 50 to 65 range nice I like that so Titan sends off to keep an eye on that and we will get into more of a wide receiver position breakdown on the draft as the draft gets closer. But for now, that's going to do it for our Corey Davis discussion. Let's talk about the other guy that this episode will feature on the defensive side of the ball. He was brought in to reinvigorate the 
weak pass rush of the Titans, which got only way worse with him on the team. Of course, I'm talking about Jadeveon Clowney, signed a $13 million deal, could have gone up to $15 million if he hit all his incentives. I can't imagine that he did because he had zero sacks. And, I mean, he didn't even play this, the full season. He played like eight or nine games, right? So when we're looking at Jadeveon Clowney. I got his uh, spot track projected calculated market value up here. They have him projected at a six and a half million dollar average annual salary. And I know Clowney tried to sign a one year prove it deal this year to, to try to hit a big payday next year, but the guy just did not really show up. Um, he made a few impact plays, but not on the level of somebody you're paying as much money as he expects to be paid. And so you look at 6.5 million, I don't know how this is calculated on spot track, spot track, but I assume it's based on age and production and some other factors that they use to calculate it. And I don't know if you can necessarily use production to calculate a Jadeveon Clowney salary, because I think the guy has a bit higher opinion of himself, maybe than teams are going to have this time around. He Ended up having a pretty hot market towards the end there with, it seemed like Baltimore was trying to work out a trade with Jacksonville and New Orleans was trying to get in on the action and Seattle wanted him to come back until they didn't. So there, he had a hot market there towards the end when he eventually chose Tennessee. I don't know if the same kind of market will be there this time around because he flopped so badly under the coach that supposedly was going to get the, the most out of him, right, in Mike Vrabel. So you know, if for me, I would be okay with them bringing him back on a, a deal like this, six and a half million, significantly less than what he made last year. But just the principle of, of the way life and business works, I don't know if he would come back to the same team for such a low, for such a pay cut. I don't know if he's going to take a pay cut at all. You know, he might hold out until September for that $13 million deal. And then if it doesn't come sit out the year, which he threatened to sit out this 2020 season. So I don't really know how I feel about Clowney. I think he's kind of a head case, but when he's on the field, he can be disruptive. The Titans need all the help they can get at the edge position. What are your thoughts on Clowney? Look, for, first thing I'm going to say is you mentioned incentives there. If Judavion Clowney hit a single incentive on his contract, I need to figure out what that incentive is and work it into my next employer contract because that would just be unbelievable if he was able to hit an incentive. Uh, you want to hear year. him? Because SpotTrack Spot has the details, baby. He had a per-game active bonus of $93,750. And game. if he per game, so all the games he played, he got that in a bonus. He had playing time incentive bonuses. If he played 75% of snaps, he had $500,000. He definitely did not hit 75% of snaps. And if he played 75% of snaps with a playoff berth, which the Titans did have, he'd get another 250,000, obviously irrelevant to him. Pro Bowl was a 250,000 incentive, did not happen. 10 sacks was a million dollar incentive. Obviously he was 10 short of that one. And the last contract note here is that the franchise tag cannot be applied to him in 2021. So franchise tag is out of the question for Clowney. That's an interesting little detail there. But uh, yeah, so his $13 million contract was probably closer to $13.8 million because of the per game active bonus. I mean, look, <laughs> I think his, his market value this year is going to be absolutely tanked. I, I can, especially in a year like you, you just mentioned a few minutes ago where the salary cap is probably going down and, and all these things. I, I can't imagine that there's a team out there willing to pay Jadavion Clowney $13 million for one season. I, I just, 
I would just blow me away if, if anyone is willing to do that when it comes to the Titans. Yeah. I, I do understand the argument of, of maybe bringing him back uh, if the market materializes for him. Like I think it may, which is almost non-existent. I'm talking somewhere between four to six and a half million. Six and a half, I think is a little on the high end, but something between four to six and a half million dollars for a single year. I can understand why you'd consider that because we're, we're dogging him a little bit here. He wasn't terrible when he was on the field for the Titans this year. It's not like he was a liability. They were better with him out there than they were without him. But to me, it comes more down to a health issue. You know, it's, it's tough to bank on him being able to stay healthy. He didn't, you know, it's not the first time he, he's had injury issues. It happened again in 2020. It just didn't work out. So I, I think if you are bringing him back, it would have to be a low risk move. It, it would have to be because his market is just in you know just tanked hard and you're not competing with anyone else for him you're not making bids for him um but for me ultimately even if that were to happen i wouldn't be shocked if the titans still passed right i, I wouldn't be surprised if they just looked at this situation and said hey we tried it didn't work out we are moving on. We don't care if it's $5 million a year. Yeah, that sounds great. No, it didn't work. We're moving on. We're going in a different direction. That's how I expect this thing to go. Right. So if they do decide to go in a different direction, which, you know what? I was a big, big, I mean, maybe the biggest proponent of bringing Clowney to Nashville over the last offseason. And I still think that he has a lot of value as a player and is a, is a really disruptive guy. And I mean, I think part of his problem is not going to training camp for the, each of the past two years, he's missed out on, you know, the conditioning, the getting into football shape part. We heard it, you know, for the first month of the season that he was still getting into football shape and, you know, being a, being able to be a productive member of the defense doesn't just mean knowing the scheme, but knowing how your teammates are going to play, how to run stunts with the guys next to you on the line, how if you get washed out of your gap, how's another guy going to take going to account for it? How are you going to make up for your teammates' mistakes? And and I don't think that he had any sense of any of that. We saw him try to get out of position a few times, trying to make a play in the backfield, and you know giving up the edge. We saw that happen a few times throughout the year. So. I think that if this, if he would just go to training camp and be part of the team and be like, like have the motivational factor, have the, the will and the drive to be great or whatever. I know he works out on his own. It's not like he's not doing anything. He's not sitting on his couch doing nothing, but I think that's a big part of his problem. So to me, I would, I would want him to come back to Tennessee on a deal like this projection, but I would want him to come back and want to be part of the team and be at training camp and really give his all into it. And I think that he needs to do that if he ever wants to have the kind of productive season that he thinks he can have and get the kind of payday that he thinks he should be deserving of getting. So did you see him on the sidelines? Not to, not to cut you off after he got hurt and was done for the season. Did, was he in team meetings? Was he, was he there? I mean, I, that your guess is as good as mine there. There's a chance that he checked out after he got surgery and said, you know what, Mike, thanks for the I year. Just went uh, home. Yeah. Yeah. And just said, I'll, I'm going to prepare for my new team next season. There's a chance the Titans aren't even looking at wanting to sign him again. So I totally think that that is in play. I'm looking at the list here. Uh, Spot track does this kind of weird because they split up defensive ends and outside linebackers. And it's really confusing because a lot of guys that I think of as defensive as outside linebackers are listed as defensive ends and they got, 
inside linebacker. They got Kamale Correa, for instance, listed with the inside linebacker. So this isn't a perfect list by any means, but Von Miller is probably the top guy expected to hit free agency this year. But the list is pretty long for free agent edge rushers this year. It's it's a good year to need free agent edge rushers. And, you know, every team could always use more edge rushers. But the list includes Matthew Judon from Baltimore, Melvin Ingram from the Chargers. We'll see if they, either of those guys actually hit free agency. Bud Dupree from Pittsburgh is expected to be on the market. Shaquille Barrett from Tampa Bay had a great year two years ago, had a decent year last year with Tampa Bay. They're still playing, obviously. Um he may or may not hit free agency. Olivier Vernon from Cleveland, Levante David, who I don't think of as an outside linebacker at all. He's more of an, ins- he's not, he's not an edge rusher, uh, but he's listed here. Leonard Floyd. I actually really like Leonard Floyd. Um, just going down the list. Like for instance, Sean Lee is on this list. I don't understand what they're doing here. Uh, Ryan Anderson, Tyus Bowser, Tyus Bowser is kind of a hybrid edge rusher inside linebacker guy that might actually make a lot of sense if, if, Titans don't resign Jay on Brown, but I'm getting off topic. Anyway, continuing with the list now onto the defensive ends, Justin Houston, who had a couple of good years in Indianapolis these past few seasons. Yannick Ngakwe is in Baltimore. I don't know if he'll actually hit the market. Ryan Kerrigan from Washington could be a good option. Solomon Thomas and Everson Griffin are kind of more guys that play more on the line as opposed to a stand-up role, but they're going to hit free agency most likely. So there's a lot of names out there. One guy I didn't name yet that I think would make a ton of sense for this Titans team. And I know that a lot of guys on Titans Twitter are already all over Carl Lawson, who is going to be a free agent. Spot track has his estimated market value of 8.8, just about $9 million a year. That's less than the Titans paid Vic Beasley to do absolutely nothing this year. So I think having a guy with a veteran experience who you know can get to the quarterback would be a huge, huge value for the Titans. So he's only 25 years old. Uh, feels like he's been in the league a lot longer than that. But 25-year-old, $9 million a year kind of salary, I think the Titans should be all over a guy like Carl Lawson. And that's even if they bring Clowney back, I think you should be all over a guy like Carl Lawson. Yeah, Carl Lawson, you're not going to get a lot of disagreement from me. We're not going to have a, a much of a back and forth discussion here because I, I do agree that he should be one of their their primary targets in free agency this year. The guy's 25 years old. Uh, he, he's he's really outperformed his draft position. I remember being one of those you know one of those draft Twitter guys that was banging the table for Carl Lawson, and he had a huge fan base on Twitter, and, and we and everyone was shocked when he went in the fourth round. A lot of it apparently had to do with a, a lack of length, right? He had short arms, uh, you know measured in at Auburn really short arms but it hasn't mattered he's been a really good player in the NFL just like he was at Auburn a really good guy that can get after the quarterback on on a consistent basis And, and, and he's young enough where the arrow is still very much pointing up Right. It would be logical for one to think that he, he still may have his best football in front of him. And you've seen some of the analytics. You've seen some of the stats surrounding him, you know, stuff like his, his pass rush win rate. It's through the roof. It's one of the best in the league this past season. So I think this is a really good player. The Titans should be in on. I think the market value is there. Like you said, that that's a, you know, don't know how correct those numbers will ultimately end up being, but they're great numbers. It feels like you'd get a really good value. And John Robinson likes value, right? So I think you'd get a great deal out of him um, if the numbers and the terms are, are, are what spot rack is or spot rack is uh, saying they might be. So I think that would, I think he should be one of their number one targets. Another guy I'm big on if they're looking for more of a veteran presence is Ryan Kerrigan uh, out of Washington. I think he's always been one of the more underrated edge rushers in the league. If I was going the veteran route, I would certainly choose someone like Ryan Kerrigan over a Justin Houston. I'd probably choose Ryan Kerrigan over Von Miller uh, with his current, uh, you know, 
potential legal issues that he may be having. Uh, I think Kerrigan's a terrific player, has never really gotten the respect that he fully deserves playing on, on a good defense, albeit on a, a, a bad team in Washington. So uh, they still have to draft a guy. No matter what they do, I think they got to draft a guy early. But getting a guy like Kerrigan, a veteran guy, or of course, getting a guy like Carl Lawson, I think you know either one of those guys would make a terrific amount of sense for this franchise. I, I agree. And I'll throw a few more names out there. Bud Dupree from Pittsburgh. There's a lot of talk about how he he um, play, got to play and benefit from playing across from TJ Watt, which is definitely something that would be, you know, probably true. But at the same time, he also is one of those guys who analytically up there in the pass rush win rate department. Spot Trek's got his market value projected pretty high, a lot higher than Carl Lawson. He's uh, they've got him at 18.2 million annually. For, they project a four-year, 72.8 million dollar deal. So. Again, you know, same thing I talked about with Allen Robinson. If you wanted to try to to lower the first year cap hit to make it more affordable, I think that would be something you can easily do. He's going to be 28 years old pretty soon, so he's a little older than Lawson. But you know, the one thing you have to worry about is coming off an ACL injury. Is he going to be the same guy? Is he going to have the same explosion? But he, this guy, was a crazy athlete at the combine a few years back. I guess six years back when he when he came out of Kentucky. So I think Bud Dupree would make a lot of sense if they're willing to, to pay up for somebody who's maybe a little more proven, not that Carl Lawson's not proven, but than anyone the Titans have had on the roster in, you know, a few years. Yeah, for me, I'll be honest with you. I, I wouldn't touch Bud Dupree at that price. I mean, when you're talking about the difference between him and Carl Lawson being what double a guy who's coming off an ACL injury, uh, a guy who, like you said, got to play across from TJ Watt. Certainly, you know, that that's not something he can control, but he certainly took advantage of that opportunity and probably saw more one-on-ones than, than he would see elsewhere. Uh, for me, uh, at that price, I, I think you can do a lot better, uh, even for, for less. Like I said, you said, what, $9 million a year for Carl Lawson versus eighteen for Bud Dupree? To me, that's a no-brainer. I'd be going with Carl Lawson every day of the week. Yeah, and I'll actually be a little surprised if Carl Lawson only makes nine million. Like I said, I mean, Vic Beasley got what ten and a half last year from the Titans, and yeah, he had a sixteen sack season. But how how many years ago was that now? So I think this may come in to be a bigger contract for Carl Lawson. But yeah, I do agree. If if you're talking about it, nine million versus eighteen million, you definitely go with the guy who's I mean, maybe better. You know, like we don't know. Carl Lawson it may end up being better. Like talking about what Bud Dupree's got to play with, a very, very talented Steelers defense that he was a part of. Um, another guy, though, if you're looking into the the less value range, Hassan Reddick, who came out of college a few years ago, was a very raw, athletic linebacker. Or people weren't really sure where he was going to play. Spot Trek has him at $11.6 million average annual value projection. So I think uh, if you're looking for much cheaper than that 18, you know, down in this $12 million range, I think Hassan Reddick, you know, he kind of had a breakout year this year. He had a couple huge games this season and really kind of found a home on the edge finally after uh, a few years in the league of being unproductive and not really being able to get on the field too much. So what, what do you think about, I mean, he's more of a, more of a pro, more of a risk, I guess, that you have to project that he would do well under Mike Vrabel. But what do you think of a guy like Hassan Reddick? Yeah, I really liked him coming out of college. I was a really big fan of him, uh, what he did down there. But uh, to me, it's it's a risk. It's 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 quite the risk, truthfully. I mean, this year, what I know, he had twelve and a half sacks this year, and and that looks terrific. But let's not forget, he had what five of them in one game. Yeah, he had five of them in one game. 
right? Almost yeah. half his production came in that 26-17 win over the New York Giants uh, in, in week 14. And, and the Giants, you know, have had their O-line struggles for years. So while the 12 and a half sacks look great, context, uh, five of them came in a single game. Uh, prior to this year, he had never had more than four sacks. He had one sack the year before, had two and a half as a rookie, and he had four as a sophomore. So while it was great to kind of see him somewhat put it all together this year, I think I think he's a pretty big risk. I would certainly look in the direction of a Carl Lawson or a Ryan Kerrigan or or several other options, truthfully, uh, before I would look at someone like Hassan Reddick. I think Hassan Reddick is kind of more of like a uh, almost in the Vic Beasley mold in terms of the level of risk. And after the the strikeout the Titans just had with a guy like Beasley, I could see them trying to avoid Hassan Reddick in any situation like that altogether. But I, I say, think- you, you just convinced every listener. Hey, Vic Beasley, has, they definitely want him now. <laughs> but, you know, that said, I think that we're looking at a situation where the Titans need more than one guy. So if, you know, if you are able to get Carl Lawson for $9 million a year and Hassan Reddick for under this $11.6 million projection, then maybe that's something that you do look at doing and using Hassan Reddick as a kind of hybrid role who floats between the inside linebacker run stuffer downhill guy on early downs and, and comes off the edge or even comes over and rushes over guard. Like we've seen the, the Titans do with uh, Rashawn Evans at times and David Long a little bit last year. So I don't know. I think he's a versatile piece that could be an interesting guy. I don't necessarily see the Titans going after him, but I wouldn't rule it out either. And uh, one other name I want to throw at you is, you mentioned you liked Reddit coming out of college, a guy I really liked coming out of Georgia who never really seemed to put it all together in Chicago, but had a pretty decent year with the Rams is Leonard Floyd. And um, he had a pretty big game in the playoffs uh, against Seattle. I think he had two sacks in that game. He, he really had a breakout year in Brandon Staley's defense this year after kind of busting with the Rams, former top 10 pick of, or sorry, with the Bears, former top 10 pick of Chicago. So I do think that, you know, it's another risky guy because he doesn't have a huge portfolio production, really kind of a one-year wonder in a contract year. You mentioned when we were talking about Corey Davis, how that can affect a player's motivation. So I do think that there's some risk to it, but Spot Tracks got him at 13.1 million projected salary. Again, significantly less than like a Bud Dupree type of guy or a Von Miller type of guy. So any interest there in, in Leonard Floyd? He does. He would interest me more than some of the names we've talked about. He would certainly more than Hassan Reddick and, and probably more than Bud Dupree as well, assuming that the, the you know the gap in wage there is gonna be is gonna be as significant as they're projecting. He did have a really good year in LA this year, 10 and a half sacks. Uh, obviously playing under a wonderful defensive coordinator in Brandon Staley, who after one year, as we mentioned, has got a head coaching job now with the Chargers. So uh, he he does intrigue me a little. He does, but uh, again, I, I would prefer some of the guys that I mentioned, uh, Lawson or a Kerrigan, but that, that, that would not be a bad route to go, I don't think, as long as you're doing something else at the position. And, and while I'm on that topic, and it's probably not going to be popular for me to say, but I also think Titans fans are a little, a little too jaded right now when it comes to the edge position. Yeah, it was terrible, but I don't think it's realistic for them to go out and sign two massive you know, free agents at the position. I think certainly they should sign one very good one, they should look into getting a nice depth piece there as well that can play rotational snaps and draft one in the first round. So that's still throwing a lot of capital at it, but I think that would be a better uh, investment than, than going in and, and sign, you know, and, and just signing two huge ones. And I mean, they did it last year, right. With Beasley and Clowney, but I think part of the call for that is just the frustration with how bad the position is. I think this position is totally fixable by making sure you sign one 
you know, damn fine player, another solid rotational guy, and using a very early draft pick on a guy. I don't think you need to sign Bud Dupree and Carl Lawson, for example. I don't think it should take that much money to fix this. Harold Landry is still a very good, usable player. Yeah, the sack totals were not, you know, what they what we wanted them to be this year. But I, I don't think they need to go out and, and make a two giant splashes in free agency. I think one, you know, really good splash with another solid, you know, a guy like what Kamalai Correa was for them a few years ago. You know, a guy like that with a Carl Lawson with an early draft pick should be more than an enough to fix the, the position and Correa is actually a free agent too if the Titans wanted to look at bringing him <laughs> back although I don't know how that would go after he requested a trade in the middle of the season on a team that had no edge presence but you know what that, that is neither here nor there at this time I do think you're totally right they don't have to go balls to the wall at this position and you know the way sacks are created is is kind of sacks are not the best metric of the best pass rusher all the time. You know, a lot of times sacks are are clean up from somebody else winning their one-on-one matchup and the guy who gets the sack may have also won his won his matchup but he won his matchup second and he's coming in to clean up after a teammate pushed the quarterback off of his spot or or moved him out of the pocket or whatever and you know the Titans Harold Landry like we've mentioned on this podcast was in the top 10 of the NFL this year in pass rush win rate but you know he didn't have a lot of teammates forcing the quarterback his towards him, you know, coming around the opposite edge and making them roll out towards Harold Landry and getting Harold Landry great angles to, to make sacks. And he also didn't have, um, you know, that many guys to push his quarterback to, you know, he didn't have that many teammates to push the quarterback to that were winning their matchups right after him, you know, like it was rare that the Titans had multiple guys beat their blocker on the same snap this year. And the other huge factor is coverage. You know, a lot of, a lot of sack. if you watch most sack highlight reels, almost all of them, I mean, except for like the rare instances where the guy just gets beat around the edge instantly, almost all of them, the quarterback has to come off his first read and look elsewhere. And we rarely saw quarterbacks having to come off their first read against the Titans this season, especially for the first eight or nine weeks when it seemed like, you know, that, that throw to the sideline and Jonathan Joseph or Breon borders or whoever was over there, that throw to that zone was just open repeatedly repeatedly on the first read so there's a lot that goes into sacks sack i mean this sounds like coach speak but it really is a team effort it takes coverage and rush playing synchronicity playing with synchronicity and the titans a lot of times had guys on delayed blitzes that were just basically like the defense playing 10 on 11 because the guy waits two seconds to rush and ends up having no impact on the play because by the time he starts rushing he's vacated a zone and he doesn't have time to get to the quarterback so there was a lot of you know it it seemed like um the rush and the coverage were out of sync for the titans a lot this past year and i think that has a lot to do with not having a real defensive coordinator so i think we'll like you said we'll see a lot of improvement at this position with the pass rush just by bringing in a defensive coordinator and adding another piece across from Harold Landry. But you mentioned you, you wanted to look in the first round of the draft at the edge position. Obviously it's a, it's a premium position. A lot of times you have to spend a high pick to find a really productive guy. We've seen guys like TJ Watt, who we've mentioned already today who went really late in the draft. The Titans picking at 22 is uh, would be seven spots. I think higher than where TJ Watt actually got drafted. So when you look in the first round, any names now that we sit here in January that jump out at you yet? Yeah, there are a ton of names. I think fortunately for the Titans, uh, this is such a good uh, edge class. And it actually lacks, in my opinion, 
a top heavy guy, right? There's not a generational talent in this class. There's certainly not a chase young. So, you know, they're probably going to miss out on one or two pass rushers. Yeah. But they're not going to miss out on one that goes second overall or third overall, like a chase young. In fact, how, how it's kind of rare at such an important position that I think we sit here, you know, near the end of January and I have no idea who the best edge player in this class is. Right. It's just such a muddled class, especially in the first round. You have Gregory Rousseau, who I, I know you're not a big fan of, but he has yeah. been considered the edge one for a lot of people throughout. Again, throughout the early part of this process, he plays with terrific length. We know that's kind of the big selling point on him. You got a guy like uh, Quiddy Pay out of Michigan, who, again, is, is a bigger type, right? Listed at 6'4", 277. He's, he's rumored to be this athletic freak. Uh, you know, PFF apparently has got their hands on a video of this just absolute ridiculous three cone. I, I think they're going to release that video soon he's oh i saw it on twitter i saw it's already out there yeah he he apparently has this just unbelievable three cone uh for me uh when i watch him on tape you know i think there are still some things he's developing i think right now i think he might be a better run stopper than he is pass rusher so that's interesting Hmm. for me a guy that i think is actually going you know has a great chance to be the edge one in this class and would be my my favorite player for the titans to land in this is azizu jelari right the edge rusher from georgia yeah he's a little undersized at 6'3 240 but he's kind of more that prototypical edge rusher right he's got terrific bend he's got terrific speed his first step is, is great he's got a lot of moves he's great with his hands you know club rips uh he uses some quick hand swipes and things so i think he's a really good i think he's got the most upside of any of the pass rushers in this class right now so i think if the titans could get their hands on one of those guys there's also joseph asai from texas who i know you'll be a big fan of but He's a great, you know, he's a very interesting prospect. I think he's a little raw. You know, again, this is a guy who who, who wasn't even born in the States, right? But he did, you know, he loves football and he started playing it at a relatively uh, young age, but he's got the traits and he he could really be a special guy. And then you got, you got guys like Jalen Phillips in Miami, who, who again is a prototypical edge guy, right? 6'5", 266, really good player. Big question mark with the health, right? He once had to retire uh, due to concussion issues. That's, that, that's a big deal. It's easy easy for all of us to get on Twitter and say, Hey, I love Jalen Phillips. This is who they have to draft, but the medicals are going to play a huge Jalen Phillips could right now. I have no idea. Jalen Phillips could be a first round pick. He could be a sixth round pick, right? It's all going to depend on those medicals. We saw what happened to Josh sweat a few years ago out of FSU. The medicals didn't check out for him and he ended up going on day three. And that's a guy who had, you know, borderline day one talent. So there are a ton of, Maurice right. Hurst, another guy who went to, eventually went to the Raiders in like the fifth round was going to be a first round guy until they found like a heart problem at the combine, right? Right. So with Phillips, the medicals are going to have to check out uh, if he's going to be drafted as early as the, the on-tape talent suggests. So, But the good news for the Titans is there's so many guys. I'm a big Patrick Jones guy from Pittsburgh. I, I have yet to figure out why the hype around him is not greater than it is. Uh, like Dane Brugler, who, who I've got a ton of respect for and, and just released his top 100 big board recently he has him at 99 uh and 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 that's kind of the general consensus most people have him between i find 75 to 100 whereas for me i think i see a top 50 guy uh on tape so that's another name that i think is worth monitoring but this class is just filled with with talented edge rushers again there's not a chase young type talent but there's so many good uh players here that the titans should be able to get their hands on a very good edge rusher yeah, and, and you definitely expect them to add more than one, whether that's two in free agency or one free agency, one in the draft, or, t- or two in the draft, who knows? 
team definitely needs to improve at that position more maybe than any other as you said on our last podcast talking about the biggest needs of the offseason so that'll do it for this episode of the music city audible make sure you check out broadwaysportsmedia.com i'm pretty sure josh aka titans tape is working on a carl lawson free agency piece breakdown of 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 that particular guy we mentioned a lot on this podcast so make sure you look out for that when it comes out check out all the other stuff we got going on broadway sports media i think john glennon's working on a mock draft that should be out pretty soon so we're definitely gonna have plenty of coverage coming to you soon be sure to follow justin on twitter at justin m underscore nfl i am at titans film room as always you guys stay safe out there we'll be back next week to continue our series with Jayon brown and Johnu Smith, two more pending free agents. So we will talk about the, what the Titans might do with those guys pretty in-depth, just like we did today on this episode. So we'll be back next week to break those down and any other news that comes out along the way. Till then, we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.